John chapter 18. I'm going to start reading in verse 28. I'll give you a second to get there. John chapter 18. This is the word of the Lord. It was written for you specifically today. It's God's word. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Let's end there. Father, we do ask your blessing upon your word. We ask that you would speak and that we would hear. Lord, we desperately need to hear from heaven and we need the words of life. Give help, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who are you? I mean, it's amazing how important that question is, but what kind of tone that changes the whole thing, right? Oh, who are you? Who are you? That second one usually means you're probably in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. The first tone is a very much more friendly thing. But it's a a significant question, isn't it? Who are you? I mean, it's it's a big deal. What's your name? What do you do for a living? Do you have a family? What family are you from? Uh, do you belong in this place? Do you, who, who are you? Is an important question. In fact, actually, it's so interesting. In many ways, it's the heart of the American struggle right now. So much of the American culture is an attempt for me to figure out my own answer to that question. Who am I? Am I a boy or am I a girl? We can't find an answer to that question right now, but we're trying to say, look, it's set in your own mind, whichever one you think you are. Well, no, that's wrong. You can't have science and that at the same time. It doesn't work. But we're wrestling with this question of who are you? And it's an important question to get it right. 
In fact, actually, the vast majority of this passage is Pilate asking that same question, albeit a bit more cleverly than what we tend to do. We tend to not be quite so clever and tend to be fairly crass and just, (laughs) who are you? And his interaction with Jesus is a little bit more sophisticated. But in order to get the context of or the, the meaning of the passage, we'll back up just a hair to remind you of where we are. John has been telling us the story of Jesus from the beginning, and he's made it abundantly clear from chapter one, Jesus is unique. He is the word of God. He is the light of God. He is the son of God. In fact, he is God and he is man. And already that takes Jesus into a different category than any of us because all of us, we're simply finite creatures. We're one thing or the other. He is God and man. He's fully God. He's fully man. And he doesn't blend the two. I don't know how that works. And John has been telling us the story from the very beginning how Jesus has come in come into the world, come into time and space as this life and light of God to redeem the world, to fix all of the bad stuff, to make the evening news go away. And interestingly, John tells us in chapter 1, he's going to do these things, and you know what? People are going to get angry about it, and they're going to try to make sure it continues happening. Wait, what? You know, no, Jesus is going to come and he's going to fix all of the wrong in the world and he's going to take care of all of the evil in the world and he's going to forgive sins and people will still reject him. They'll shun him. They will eventually kill him as part of that rejection. And John frames it at the very beginning in a way that we would have to ask that question. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, would we all not want hurricanes like this to go away and the tragedies of the evening news to go away and earthquakes in Mexico to go away and life to be perfect? Would we all not want that? And from that first chapter up till now, he's been telling us how Jesus has been accomplishing that. And then in chapter 18, everything changes. In chapter 18, all of his enemies' plans go from in theory to in reality, and they capture him in the evening with betrayal. And they run him through an ecclesiastical trial, a trial in the church, in the, the Jewish religious grouping, and it's a total farce, it's fake, it's ludicrous, it's silly, and it's evil. And in verse 28, we pick up with the ending of this trial. They've, they've tried Jesus, which isn't really a trial. It's a fake thing. It's a sham to satisfy, I guess, maybe their lingering conscience. Who knows? And they now take him from the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, to the governor's headquarters. They take him to Pilate's house. And John tells the story in, in a gripping way to kind of pull us in so we get the, the weight and the feeling of the parties and the interchanges. First thing in the morning, the sun is just up. You're not allowed to actually do uh, trials in the middle of the night. They've done it anyways. They've broken their own rules, and they take him to the governor of Rome. And we find out why later is because they fully intend to have this man, Jesus, executed, but they can't do it legally. 
In fact, actually, these evil men maintain the pretense, the hypocritical pretend holiness that when they get to the Roman governor's house, they send Jesus in, but they stand outside faking and feigning purity, pretending to maintain the law during Passover, and also as a power play to force Pilate to come out. And Pilate goes out and begins with a great question for your governor to ask. Um, What accusation do you bring against this man? It's Friday morning at sunup, and you're at my front door. Why? What has this guy done that it needs to be handled now? Can we not handle this, say, maybe at a better hour? Why is he here? And their answer sets the tone for the entire interchange. I mean, normally in that case, you would list off a man's crimes. You would say what evil things he's done or what he's even been accused of or maybe even list out, you know, the witnesses that have seen him do it. And what does their answer say instead? It's fantastic. Um, If he weren't guilty, would we have brought him? Let's be honest. That's their answer. Hang on, what now? Pilate asks a legitimate question. What has he done? And their answer is, it doesn't matter what he's done. He's guilty. Now kill him. Okay. So Pilate actually, again, 31, it's another good answer. If you found him guilty, you take him and you handle him by your own law. You have your own Jewish thing, your own Jewish culture, your own Jewish church, and your own Jewish court system. If you think he's guilty of your own Jewish crime, you handle it in your own Jewish way. And their response is, again, just as fitting. Verse 31, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. It's not going to stop them in just a matter of weeks when they kill Stephen, but that's beside the point. Their answer says it all. When asked what the man has done, they said it doesn't matter, he's guilty. And when asked why he needs to be tried in Rome, they say we can't kill him. It'd be murder if we did, so we want you to murder him. Because we're still not telling you what he's actually done. We want you to execute a criminal with no knowledge of the charges. Think about this in our own court system. I mean, can you imagine like one state bringing a criminal to another state and saying, oh, by the way, we need you to execute this guy. He's a really bad guy. And the state was like, well, I mean, what did he do? And they're like, it doesn't matter. He's a bad guy. I mean, can, can, we, can we actually do that? Can we execute a guy without knowing what he's done? What has he done? And they refuse to say In fact, actually, John tells us why this interchange takes place in verse 32 to frame out, to let us know, oh, by the way, this is so it fulfills Scripture. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, and the Jews didn't hang on trees. They stoned their victims. They didn't hang them. They didn't crucify them. Only Rome did that abomination, and the Jews wanted Jesus to go through that terrible process. And then verse 33 takes us to the interchange, the conversation between Pilate and Jesus, the conversation we're going to focus in on very quickly. Verse 33, Pilate enters in his headquarters and looks at Jesus. And again, you have to remember, we we sometimes sanitize these stories a little bit too much. Jesus is a traveling, homeless rabbi who looks nothing like the pictures that you've seen. The pictures are all wrong anyways. 
He looks like a traveling homeless teacher who, by the way, was assaulted in the middle of his previous trial. So not only is he a traveling homeless rabbi, he's a traveling homeless rabbi with bruises on his face. He's been roughed up. He's not been treated well. And Pilate comes in and asks uh, what can be called at, at best a sarcastic question. At worst, being just flat out downright rude, but either way, he doesn't care. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Well, no one would look at this man and think he's king of the Jews. I mean, Isaiah 53 tells us that no one would look at this man and say, oh, you're worth following. Much less after he's been roughed up in his last, uh, his last trial uh, in, you know, hands bound or whatever. No one looks at this man and thinks, oh, he would be the king of the Jews. Oh, this man would be king. In fact, actually, Pilate mocks him. But there's a problem that even as Pilate mocks him, he's actually got the question right. And that's a little bit tricky. Because Jesus is actually the king of the Jews. He's not just king of the Jews. He's king over the entire world, but he is also king of the Jews. And in his sarcastic and flippant question, Pilate has put Jesus in a terrible situation. He has sarcastically asked Jesus, who are you in such a way that Jesus can't give a good answer? If Jesus says, yes, I'm king of the Jews, well, Pilate immediately thinks, well, where's your territory? Where are your people? If you're a king, a king has to have a physical kingdom. Where are your soldiers? Where are your constituents? Where are your taxes? All your sporting is a giant bruise, man. What's going on? Were Jesus to answer no, it would be a lie. So yes isn't a good option and no isn't a good option. So how will Jesus answer? Well, being infinitely wise, he knows. He instead forces Pilate out of his sarcasm, forces Pilate out of his flippancy, forces Pilate out of his kind of disregard into that serious moment of conversation. (laughs) Did you think of this yourself or did someone tell you? I mean, that's in essence what Jesus says to him. He calls him out. Uh, Oh, were you clever enough to figure this out? Or who told you to say that? Wow. That's maybe a a bit aggressive, almost a touch abrasive. Jesus is, in essence, reaching in and kind of grabbing Pilate and verbally shaking him to get him engaged. To get him to tune in. Sometimes maybe spouses think of this like when your spouse comes home from work and their mind is still a million miles away and you want them to engage and you want to have a serious conversation, but you just can't quite get them to like zone in and focus. Jesus cuts cleanly through that. Until we get to the two-part interchange here that is the heart of what we're looking at. Pilate answers in verse 35. Did you think of that yourself or did someone tell you that? And he looks back at you. Am I a Jew? Why would I care? Of course Pilate knows who he is. Pilate is the governor of the region. Jesus is a slightly big deal. I mean, he's raised people from the dead. He's been feeding huge crowds. He's had thousands and thousands of people following him. And just a couple of days prior, they actually had a coronation event coming into the city. He knows exactly who Jesus is. But now he's again trying to push off. He's trying to disengage. And mind you, I don't care. Your own nation, your own chief priests, your own Jewish people, they've turned you over to me. Why would I care? Now to the heart of the question, what have you done? 
And Pilate here steals it, steers the conversation to the heart of the issue of, if you're a king, well, then I've got to kill you. Or you're, you're a rebel. You're subverting the Roman government. You're, you're trying to overthrow the status quo. You're a, you know, a, this kind of you know, overthrow the man kind of guy. What have you done? <laughs> what have you done to make the establishment so very angry? And this is where you get the first part of Jesus' answer as he explains. He, he gives a very clear answer to the question, who are you? Verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So Jesus, first part of his answer, who are you? He explains, look, I am a king. I'm a great king. In fact, actually, I'm so great a king that my kingdom isn't from this realm and not from the realm of Rome or the realm of the ancient Near East or the realm of the known world. His, his kingdom is from outside creation. He is Lord over creation. Remember, that's how John started chapter 1. He's the agent of creation. It's how Hebrews 1 started that we already read. He's the agent of creation. His kingdom is far bigger than just flesh and bone. And he gives proof of it. If my kingdom were of this world, if I were a king of a, a physical, like political nation state, what would happen when the king gets imprisoned? Well, his soldiers would fight for him. His little minions, his armies would come and they would have prevented him from being captured by the Jews. Jesus is explaining from very significantly that he is a king, but his kingdom is not confined to places and things. And this is going to be significant as the story develops and as the rest of the scriptures are written, as it, it is a spiritual kingdom. The Lord Jesus is a king. He's king over a spiritual realm. And this realm spans time and space and people and places and nations and tongues and tribes and cultures and everything. So that when it comes time to look at what is the kingdom of Christ, we can say, well, it was Adam and Eve in the garden. And it was Seth. And it was Noah and Abraham and David and the apostles, and if you're a member of Christ's church now, it's you and it's me, and eventually it will come in fullness at the second coming. It's a spiritual kingdom that spans time and space. In fact, actually, it's a spiritual kingdom that we mark entrance to with different sorts of activities. We don't go to the Statue of Liberty and swear our fealty to a nation. We have it placed upon us with water and a name. It's changed. It's, it's different. It's not inside time and space the same way that we normally think. But the story continues. Verse 37, Pilate's engaged at this point. He's figured it out. So you are a king. I knew it. You said you were a king. I got it. And Jesus comes back with part B. You say I'm a king. You said it. It's in your mouth. You got it right, buddy. Good job. You're paying attention. 
I is a king. I am a king. But it's for this purpose that I am a king. It's for this purpose that I was born and for this purpose that I've come into the world. You ready? This is what type of king I am. To bear witness to the truth. My spiritual kingdom is a true kingdom. To bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. His kingdom is one that is marked by truth. Now, for those of you that have been in the church for a long time, you have probably forgotten a little bit of the sensation of coming to know truth for the first time. You see, we live in a time and in a culture that has kind of no real concept of truth. We hear things said, well, if it's true for you, that's ridiculous. As long as it doesn't hurt somebody else, it always hurts somebody else. We, we've lost a stable mooring of truth in our culture. And as you watch the news and as you read stuff and listen to people, you see our culture is just swirling about like the seas off the coast of Florida. And you know what? It was the same way in Rome back then. And it's been the same way every day since. And what Jesus is saying is like, look, in the middle of this world... In the middle of this culture where there is shifting sands everywhere, where it's so hard to figure out everything, understand my kingdom is a kingdom of truth. And my people, verse, end of verse 37 there, my people, the, the constituents of my kingdom, the people who belong to my kingdom, they also will have the truth. They won't have truth for them. They won't have, well, that's your opinion. They won't have, well, that's your religion. They will have unequivocally unalterable truth. They will have the answer. It is a unique truth claim that is given to the Bible. The pilot knows it. In fact, actually, he, he's uh, toes stepped on a little bit. Everyone who is of the truth, listens to my voice, my kingdom, my people will know the truth, they will know my voice. And Pilate knows he's not of his kingdom, and he knows he's not listening to him, so his only option is to dismiss him. What is truth? What, what is truth? Who cares? And he walks outside, and he looks at the Jews, and he says, look, this guy's innocent, he hasn't done anything. Because he understands what Jesus is making a claim to. You can't execute a man because he's not being rebellious, He's not trying to overthrow Rome, and he's acknowledging that his kingdom doesn't belong solely on earth. Pilate gets it. This is not a crime that would be executable. This is not a crime in which a man should be for which a man should be punished. But what it does is it clues us in to the nature of what life is like inside the people of God. First and foremost, the the clue given is that we belong to a spiritual kingdom. And that's our primary allegiance. I happen to be an American, I mean a citizen of the United States of America. A lot of God's people are not. In fact, the vast majority of them on the planet right now are not. Uh, In the next couple of years, it won't be long until China is the most populous Christian country in the world. It will also be the most populous Muslim country in the world at the same time. But you know what? That's, it doesn't matter because that is a secondary citizenship because we belong first and foremost to the kingdom of God. So when we meet a Chinese sister in Christ, 
or Russian brother in Christ. We're all part of that same kingdom, that same family, that same sense of belonging. It crosses tribes and tongues and nations. But secondly, that even in the midst of that, it's not just this uh, mystical union of like, oh, yay, we have buddies everywhere. It's that we are buddies, our family, our friends, our kingdom is knit together based on one common set of truth. God's truth. And having grown up in the South and spent all of my life in the Bible Belt, I mean, literally, you can count the months of my life that have not been spent in the Bible Belt. And probably still have fingers left over, actually. You might have a whole hand left over. I've grown up in a culture that says, I belong to the kingdom of God, but I'm not willing to accept his truth. And brothers and sisters, friends, the problem is that by saying, I belong in the kingdom of God, but I don't accept his truth, you've actually said, I don't believe in the kingdom of God because I don't accept his truth. I don't belong in Christ's kingdom because I refuse to listen to his voice. I don't belong in his church because I have rejected his Bible. I don't belong to Christ because I cannot hear him speak. May it be that we are never found to be in that category of person, those that have stopped their ears and refused to listen. Because the the good news of the gospel, the whole point of the story, the whole point that John is building to is that Jesus is about to go to the cross in just a few short verses. And on that cross, the Lord of truth is going to suffer unjustly because he's done nothing wrong. Even Pilate gets it. But while he's suffering on the cross, he's going to take all of the sins of all of his people onto him. Meaning he's going to, to take credit for them. He's going to have them become a part of him so that when he goes to the cross and he goes to die, when God the Father looks at him, he sees all of the sins of all of the saints. He sees all of my sin, and that is a a copious amount. And all of your sin, and that, that is a copious amount. It's a tremendous amount, all of us. All of the sins of all of the people of God are placed upon Jesus, so when he goes to the cross, he dies for them all. And upon resurrection, he is then able to say, look, if you want life, if you want forgiveness, if you want truth, I can give it freely. But it's on his terms and his terms only. See, the danger in the American church today and the danger for many of us is that we want to be a part of Christ's kingdom. And that we want to be a part of that forgiveness and we want to be a part of that heaven and we want to be a part of that freedom, but we are only willing to do it on our own terms and not his. And friends, I would suggest that if you only want salvation on your own terms, you don't actually want salvation. And it would be time for us as the people of God or those that are questioning to sit and consider and ponder, do I know this freedom? Do I know this truth? Do I know this forgiveness of sin? Am I a part of this spiritual kingdom? And do I want to be? Because the Lord Jesus gives freely. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be answered. You will find salvation in Christ. 
May it be that we, all of us, find forgiveness in Christ and find our truth and stability in Him, for He is dependable. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the truth. Forgive us for our many sins. Lord, may we be filled with Your truth and not our own. For Christ's sake, amen.